Pastor Tom, it's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. If you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this form that's in your bulletin and drop it in the bucket on your way out and we will take it from there. Uh, we do appreciate it when you share your prayer requests with us. It allows us to um, know what's going on in your life and actively engage in um, supporting you. And so please communicate with us. You can do that on that form or online um, through our website. You can submit prayer requests there as well. And let's see, several things going on around here you should probably know about. Uh, we have um, prayer before the service at 9.45 every Sunday. If you would like to come for that, that's sort of a concentrated, focused time of prayer. Lasts for about 15 minutes, but you're invited to... Uh, be here for that, if that would be enriching to you. We have a women's uh, small group that meets on Monday evenings and a men's small group, both for the sake of kind of Christ-centered relationships, discipleship. Um, men's group meets on Wednesdays in the evening, women's on Mondays. Uh, we have um, some spots available, I believe, this week. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I have some ideas for that, because you wrote that on your prayer request last week and today. All right, so Pebby's going to put you to work. So, all right, we'll talk about that later. But if you want to volunteer, that's a great segue, um, please contact uh, myself or one of your elders or deacons or any ministry team leader and let them know what you would like to be doing and we will get you plugged in and on your way in that regard. Um, this week we have some openings at Blueprint Ministries. So every year our youth group goes down to Blueprint. They are a ministry in urban San Antonio, just south of downtown, and they coordinate uh, youth groups coming in from all over the country, actually, and serving our urban poor by fixing up the homes of people who live at one and a half times the national poverty level or lower and we go in and make just basic repairs we put on roofs we fix uh, drywall we do just some flooring and other things just to kind of make the home a little safer a little brighter a little uh, warmer in winter time a little drier when possible and uh, so we're going down there this week with our youth group we leave today at three from right here and then if you want to serve dinner, you can go to our website and click through to the Blueprint link, and you can find the blue on the Blueprint Ministries website, you can find an evening to come down and serve dinner, and you'll just be part of a crew of volunteers that uh, put dinner on the table for about a hundred and some odd youth that are down there working, and their sponsors, volunteers, et cetera. But it's kind of cool to see the whole thing in that stage of operation. And we encourage you to sign up and jump in. Um, to that end, I would like to invite uh, everyone who's going on the Blueprint trip this week to come forward at this time. And we're going to pray for you um, before you leave. Where's Jackie? Yeah, get up here. She's coming. Pastor, vente pa' acá.
See? All right. So this is our uh, motley crew for this year's blueprint trip. Um, and let me just say a prayer over all of us that will be participating this week. Um, Father God, thank you for the opportunity to serve, to bring light and hope into the urban core of our city. Uh, keep everyone safe this week and fill us with your Holy Spirit that as we go into these homes and neighborhoods that we might be a source of encouragement and light and hope to the homeowners and families and neighbors that we will be interacting with. We just pray that you would uh, open doors and prepare hearts and uh, make this week fruitful for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. Your blessing over this team, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Zoe, you stay here. <laughs> Just kidding. Zoes, what grade are you in? You're going into sixth grade. You done with fifth grade? It's all over. That makes you a sixth grader, which means you're coming into the Hope Church youth group. So there's good news and bad news. Which do you want first? The bad news first, from, from this point forward, now you can go today if you want to, because I kind of surprised everyone with this one, but at some point in the very near future, you're going to have to stay in here during Hope for Kids and sit through my boring sermons. <laughs> Thank you, Esther. So how do you feel about that? feel okay with it? <laughs> All right. So here's what we believe, that you are old enough, smart enough, and have enough of the Holy Spirit in you that as God's Word is interacted with through, this, through the sermon time at Hope Church, you have something to learn, to gain, to grow in. This is for you. I think that's, wait, I got the, that's the wrong one. Yours is... Yay er. Yep, this is the right one. It's purple. Yes. Well, we wait to do the name engraving. I wrote a message to you on the inside. Um, that part is not God's word. That's just a nice little note. Yeah, the printed stuff and type, that's God's word. So this Bible also has some notes at the bottom of every page to help you understand what's in the Bible. But what I hope is that God's word will take root in your heart, will grow, you will grow in his word, in his grace, and become more and more the woman of God that he created you to be. Does that sound good? All right. How about a hug? All right. Love you. Kara, it's your turn. They don't make the giant Bibles in purple. <laughs> so I got you burgundy. And there are some people in this world who like only need one name, like Oprah and Kara. 
that sound good? All right. So as you have now graduated from high school and are moving into uh, full-on adulthood, uh, we at Hope like to mark that occasion by giving you a grown-up Bible. That's that's a ESV study Bible. It's got like intelligent stuff in there along with God's Word. And uh, our prayer and hope is that you will grow deeper and deeper in His love and His grace through His Word as you mature into the woman of God that He created you to be. So can I pray for you real quick? All right. Father God, uh, we lift up Kara to you as she moves into this next stage and phase of her life. Bless her in work and in studies and help her to grow more and more according to your word and your will. Fill her with your spirit and lead her into the fullness of faith and life and love in your name. We pray all these things uh, according to Jesus' name and love in his name. Amen. All right. Blessings. We have one more member of our youth group that I would like to present a Bible to, uh, Judy Harrell. Are you here? There you are. Come forward, Jude. Hey, Jude. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So Judy has recently been ordained to the office of deacon at Hope Church and made a comment during a uh, Bible study uh, recently that she did not have one of these big, beautiful uh, study Bibles. And so, oh, sorry. She's electrifying, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that's for you. Love you, too. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I think that's it for today. There is one more Bible, but she's not here. So we'll wait till she's here, and then we'll give it to her. Fair? All right. Okay. Let's have all the important people come down to the front. Thank you. <coughs> very good, very good. One more to go. Safe. All right. Um, all right, I have a dangerous question for you, but I think you already know the answer. What's the answer? Jesus. Good. Okay. The question is, what is truth? Jesus. But if, if, you, if you weren't at the children's chat at Hope Church and you didn't already know the answer is always Jesus, what would you say to the question, what is truth? Okay, something that's right, uh, that's something that's honest, might be something factual, might be something real, right? Okay, so did you know that God wants you to walk in the truth? How do you do that? Does he want you to step in truth? You sure? It says walk in truth, so I think you're supposed to step in it and get it all over your shoes and then walk around. No? That's not what it means? 
No, I think it's like gum. You step on it on the sidewalk, it sticks to your shoe, you kind of take it with you, you get it in your mom's car, make a mess. No? Oh. Okay, so he wants you to take his love, his truth, his son into your heart and carry it with you everywhere you go. So as a pastor, I'm just going to read the words of another pastor from the Bible, and I want you to hear what I'm saying, all right? This is from a pastor. His name was John, right? And he wrote this in the Bible. He, his, he says this, I have at no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So what gives me joy is to know that you are growing up in the light and truth of God's word. What gives God joy is to know that you have his word hidden in your heart, his spirit to fill you and give you strength and hope and light so that you can not only know God's love, but you can show God's love to the people around you. Is that pretty cool? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. God wants you to walk in the truth, to know that he loves you, he sent his son for you, that he has redeemed you, he's filled you with his spirit, called you by name, and how long does he love you for? You sure it's not just a couple of weeks? A couple of years? A couple of decades? How long is forever? And beyond your whole life? Yep, forever, forever. Okay, I think you get it. Can I say a prayer for you guys? All right, dear God, thank you that these beautiful children are walking in your light. Fill them with your Holy Spirit that they might, uh, as they spend time in your word this morning and hope for kids, that they might have leave there with a deeper understanding of how much you love them and all of the joy and blessing you want them to receive from you and all the joy and blessing you want them to show to the people around them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deep time in your word this morning. We pray your blessing over them. In Jesus' name, amen. What? There you go. Love never ends. I'll take it. Why aren't y'all that excited to come in here? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Oh. Ah, uh, they saw the cookies in, in the children's ministry classroom on their way in. Sneaky little boogers. Yeah. We love them, though. They can probably hear me, so it's okay. Um, we are in the midst of a sermon series at this time uh, called Love Letters. And we're looking at a, a series of really, really short letters at the end of the Old Testament, all kind of 
crammed in uh, right before the book of Revelation. And there is a singular theme that all of these little letters carry in common with each other, and it is quite simply love. And so these letters are each written in their own context, and we're going to try to understand that a little bit. And they, all ha- they each have their own purpose for being written. But one of the things that you see recurring in these final little letters of the New Testament is this theme of love. And just for your um, personal edification, uh, the New Testament authors are generally arranged in order from their longest work to their shortest work. And, and so 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, three letters that we think were written by the Apostle John, um, do not necessarily occur in the Bible in chronological order, in the order in which they were written. They're just arranged there by this, this whoever arranged them that way initially just put all the shorter ones towards the end. So that's why these letters are arranged the way they are and, and why they're towards the end of the New Testament. They're all relatively short. In fact, uh, three of the first three of the books that we're looking at don't have any chapters. They're just the letter of Second John, the letter of Third John, the letter of Jude, and then the verses that, that are referenced within that letter because it's so short it doesn't need multiple chapters. So... Today, we come to the letter of 3 John, and I just want to open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into uh, this letter and see what God has to say to us this morning. Will you join me in prayer? God, our loving Father, we pause before you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us today by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit through your word. Grow us, change us more and more into the men and women of God that you created us to be. And Lord, as we come before your word, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and disappointments and grief, and we pray your mercy, forgiveness, and grace over us, your people. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, And we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you those whom we know and love who are sick. And we pray your healing mercies over them. I continue to pray uh, for my brother-in-law, Lou Harris, as he battles cancer. I just pray you would pour out your healing upon him as he undergoes various procedures this coming week. Uh, May they be all in your will for bringing about his healing. We lift to you, Lord, those whom we know and love who are in grief, and we pray your comfort over their hearts. We lift to you especially this morning, Cheryl Trim and her family as they grieve the loss of her father who passed yesterday. And we just pray your peace, your presence, your comfort over that family. And Lord, we lift to you our country uh, at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would give our leaders wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray that you would um, be especially close to those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up their families and their loved ones, and we just pray your comfort and 
strength over them as they are apart. We lift to you those who've returned home from their service to our country changed. And we pray that you would use us, your people, to minister healing to them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We pray for uh, the ministries at that are the ministry at Blueprint this week that is taking place. And we just pray that your will and would be done and your light would be uh, shown into this world through that exercise. We lift up the connections that we have through uh, missions, endeavors that we support and our denomination, etc. And we just pray your blessing over all those works that we are connected to. Uh, fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Lead us into not only a deeper understanding of your word, but a deeper grasp of how much you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, the letter of 3 John. Um, I want to give you a little bit of background and context. Uh, and, and some of this is um, just kind of built around what we think about the context into which John would have written this letter. Uh, John was the only of the 12 apostles who lived to a ripe old age. He was probably well into his 90s um, when he wrote this, or somewhere in his 80s or 90s. And the churches in this time period are spreading throughout the Greco-Roman world under the umbrella of the Roman Empire. And they had one major problem on the outside and a couple of major problems on the inside of the church. The major problem on the outside of the church was that it was not legal in the Roman Empire to believe that the Roman emperor was not your god. And these young Christians and this young movement of Christianity uh, clearly did not believe that Caesar was their god. And so they were charged often with the crime of atheism, if you can believe that, uh, and all sorts of persecutions and executions were carried out against these Christians for their refusal to acknowledge the deity of Caesar. And so they had this external pressure that kept them uh, kind of in really small communities and in a, in a city where the church was spreading, you wouldn't have one big mega church. You would have a hundred or more little churches meeting in people's homes. And the pastor would be the homeowner, typically. They would be the person that's, you know, their home or the home of the person who would open their home to the church. And they would meet there relatively uh, in secret. They didn't, they didn't publicize their meetings um, because it could be dangerous by the time that John is writing this letter. It could be dangerous to be known to be assembling uh, in a group that does not recognize the deity of Caesar. And so then the problem that you have with within, within a community and between various communities is that of, let's call it, theological continuity. You have... When you have one pastor at a megachurch, then you have one person's perspective on the Bible being conveyed to lots of people. That's more like what we are accustomed to in this day and age. When you outsource that to a hundred different pastors, 
in a hundred different small communities that aren't really free to communicate openly, um, you might get a hundred different perspectives on the Bible. And this is the problem that John is trying to deal with as he writes this letter to these churches. These churches are probably in and around the community of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and the gospel has been spread there, and they're now in the second and third generation of elders and leaders in these little house churches all around, in and around the city or town or community of Ephesus. And we don't know for certain that this letter was written to churches in Ephesus, but we have a pretty good idea based on what we know about where John was and what he did and who the, some of the people mentioned here, uh, what we know about them, etc. So that's what we think is going on. John is writing uh, to a, a group of churches, or really, to, in this case, to a specific church, knowing that they will receive this letter and pass it around to their communities. And you'll see a couple of things in this, in this letter. He's addressing a problem that one of these house church pastors uh, is, ex is expressing, and the problem is pretty simple. So they have had, and you'll see in, if you read the letter of 2 John, you'll see the, the first problem that emerges, that there are some who are in these house churches who are teaching things like, well, Jesus wasn't God, and he, and he wasn't fully human. He was just this sort of phenomenon or whatever they might be teaching, and they're denying some of the aspects of Christ that are really, really central to our salvation, to our understanding as Christians of what it means to be saved and forgiven. And so John is trying to address that issue, and primarily in 2 John, his second letter that we have in the New Testament. Um, and then in this letter, he has another problem. <laughs> One of the house church pastors has decided that the best way to protect his little flock from all these misunderstandings is to lock the doors and not let anyone outside in. And so he's got his own little house church full of people, and he won't let anyone else in. The problem is, at this time in history, there are men and women who are traveling in groups as Christians who are bringing the gospel to new communities in in continuing ways. This is their calling, their mission, if you will. And these people have gone through Ephesus, and they got to this guy's church, and he said, get out. We're not letting you in. And ironically, John himself said in his previous letter that we have, if, if someone is denying Christ, don't let them in. Don't invite them into your home, meaning your house church. And so this guy takes it literally. He he's trying to protect his flock, and the way he does it is closing the door to everyone. And John's like, oi, vey, no, 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 no. What I mean is close your door to the people who are doing damage and open your door to the people who are bringing in light and love and grace. They're good. Those are bad. Figure this out and be open to the good and closed to the bad. And so you will see in this letter as we read through it, um, John is now more focused on, on one perspective of locking all your doors. And that's kind of the, the theme that you'll see or the issue that you'll see him address in the letter of 3 John. I'm just going to start in verse 1 and read all the way through, and we will go from there. The elder 
to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with the pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. I think the thing that I love the most about these little letters is how personal they are. And... Um, what a poignant, uh, relevant thing that he says at the end of this letter, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. And we've just all been through this season of our society where we were pulled apart from being face to face. And we've learned uh, in our own ways how important it is to maintain human connections and be together. And this is a phenomenon that is not new to us. John uh, talks directly about how important that is, and we'll touch on that later uh, in the message. But just how intensely personal these words are. Um, and I think it's interesting, while John is um, very strong in his language against this pastor who's closing his doors, uh, he does not condemn him as a heretic. This guy is not giving out false teaching. He's not contorting or twisting the truth. He's just being a little stubborn. There's words for that that I won't use from up here. But he's being a little stubborn. And John calls him out. And even you know, as he comes out of that, gets very, very personal. And so John has clearly lived in and among these brethren for some period of his life. He's been their pastor, and he's, he's been taken away from that by circumstances, or he could be uh, in exile at this point in his life. And he's writing back to them, and you see this really, really personal, like, I want you to greet everyone by name. 
I want you to say their name from us. And, and I can tell you how important these things are. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a sister church in central Cuba, and we would occasionally take small teams from Hope and go down there to, to just interact with them and visit with them and encourage them. And I, I've never seen anything like this, but I'll, I would be invited to get up in front of the church, and I would say something like, you know, your brothers and sisters in San Antonio send you greetings. And they would all just go, oh. And there's this audible, like, joy that, that kind of moves through the group. And um, it's really hard to describe the isolation with which the Cuban people live in terms of their country. And then the opposite of that is they're, they're deeply communal people, like, community is really important to them and so just the words of someone saying you know your brothers and sisters in another place send you greetings just warms the entire room and it's it really powerful to be a part of that and we will we will go back there um, at some point that was also interrupted by some virus that won't be mentioned um, but uh, that our faith and our connections are really, at the end of the day, personal. And this letter reminds us that we are to be about developing healthy connections as Christians. Connections to one another, to other churches, to other works of the Spirit, to other uh, Christians in other countries, etc. But we are to develop healthy connections. That begins with our call to walk in the truth. The, the reason, and this was also one of the things that always kind of blew my mind about being in Cuba, you have two radically different political contexts and economic contexts. And in, that, in those differences, you have this in common. Your Cuban brothers and sisters read the same Bible that you do. They have the same Savior, the same understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, it is amazing to be in such a radically different context and then hear someone like Pastor Miguel preach a sermon that sounds a lot like something I would say. And it's really encouraging to know that God's Word transcends culture and political differences, and ethnic differences, and every other set of differences. That we have a hold here of something transcendent and unifying. And so we are to be those who walk in the truth. We develop healthy connections by having that common bond of walking in the truth, of loving those who walk along with you, and rejoicing with those who walk along with you. And John literally says what he's feeling in this letter when he says, like, there is no greater joy as a pastor to have moved on and then to have somebody who was just in your church come to my church and say, those people are crushing it. They are, they are walking in the light. They are shining that light. They are fulfilling the mandate of the, of the gospel. 
they are living the way Christians should live. And John's heart just goes, yes. That's music to my ears. And so we are reminded to come back to this, to this unifying truth that's in God's word, to walk in the truth and to spread the truth. John turns his attention in verses 5 through 8 to these strangers that he, he calls them. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That we are to receive well those who go, those who, who cross cultural lines, political lines, and other lines for the sake of sharing God's love with the world that we are to receive them well, and we are to support them well. Um, this is one of the values that Hope Church has had from the very beginning, that we cut out um, a fairly generous proportion of our income and dedicate it to supporting people who are in other places spreading God's word, shining his light. And Cuba is one of those, as well as we have a, a, a missionary that when we started supporting he and his wife, they were in Argentina, and his name is Paul Branch. His wife's name is Elizabeth. And Paul basically helped this small group of churches in Argentina build their own seminary with its own curriculum for training Argentinian pastors to take care of the needs of the Argentinian church. And he got to a certain point, and he went, huh, I think I'm done here. They are self-perpetuating. He literally worked himself out of a job, and he moved to Guatemala City, and he started working as a professor at uh, a seminary, uh, Seminario Evangelio, Evangelico Teologico, uh, something, uh, Centro America, Seteca is what they call it. Um, and uh, he started working there as a professor and then he got promoted to department chair and he's, he's now the president of the largest seminary in Latin America. I think there might be a bigger one in Brazil, but they speak Portuguese. That doesn't count. <laughs> um, it's like, kind of like Canada. You know, what is that? I'm kidding. I love, they don't, have, they don't know what bacon is, but other than that, I like Canada. Um, where was I? That we receive and, and support those who go. And, and it's an honor to have been part of Paul's ministry um, from, the, from a long time back and to see all that God has done in him and through him over those years. Um, so we are to develop and maintain and cultivate healthy connections both inside our church and outside our church. And John reminds us in a, in a fairly um, direct way that we are to keep it positive. We are looking at verses 9 through 11 here, and um, he's a little bit irked with this pastor named Diotrephes, which, I mean, I, that explains it all. If your name was Diotrephes, you'd be in a bad mood too, I think. Um, 
but Diotrephes has basically closed his doors to anyone outside of his little house church. And John's like, no, 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 that's not the idea. I, I, you know, I love the fact you're trying to protect your flock, buddy. But what you're doing is you're cutting them off. You're, you're isolating them from the rest of the healthy connections that they should be cultivating. And so we learn in this little section of, of this letter that we are called to work with love and truth or truth and love. We're called to work not only with those things in our hearts, but along with those efforts in others. We're called to be team players in that regard, to put others first. Um, I think John is most irked by this Pastor Diotrephes um, just being like, making himself the sole authority for his little congregation. That seems to be the biggest problem. And we are reminded there that we are to put others first and we are to be welcoming to those who are um, engaged in good in this world. Um, we are to work with the values of truth and love, not against them and John reminds us in this verse 11 not to become our enemies and you know this is um, I think a temptation that besets all of us I'll try to I'll try to just um, get down to earth here for a second um, Somebody, somebody says something ugly to you. What is your human tendency? <laughs> you know, load up your ugly gun and fire back something ugly, right? Oh, yeah, well, you are stinky, which I think your daughters would agree with, yeah. Um, but uh, to, to fight fire with fire right, to come back a little more force than whatever was pushing against me. That's my, I don't know about you, maybe I should just confess my own sins here. Um, and there it is. There, there it is. And John is saying to this church whose pastor's name is, is Gaius, like, hey, don't don't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this guy. Don't become like him. Don't shut him out because he's shutting others out. Don't be rude because he's being rude. Don't be self-interested because he's being self-interested. Pick up another weapon. It's called grace. It shoots forgiveness, understanding, love. Don't become your enemy do not be caught imitating idiots. They're everywhere. And if that's what, what is that? It's not a bad word. Well, okay. Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. If that's not the definition of idiot, 
I'm just saying. He refuses to welcome the brothers, stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. What an idiot. Oh, did I just, did I just not use my own? He's a child of God. <laughs> Bless his heart. There it is. From the deep south, ladies and gentlemen. Bless his heart. You know what that means, right? Yeah. It means he's an idiot. God doesn't want you firing back in kind. He wants you to reflect his image to the idiots, right? He wants you to find a different well to draw water from and to be able to stand up for what's true and right and good and at the same time be kind, um, you know, what do they say? Say what you mean, but don't say it mean. Yeah. Um, and so we are not to become like the people that we don't get along with. We're to be like the God who created us, who is loving and forgiving and gracious and kind and patient and all those other things I'm terrible at. That is our calling, to keep it positive, to develop healthy connections keep ourselves positive, and to keep it personal, to not isolate ourselves from others around us, but rather to grow closer, more connected, and more loving in our connections to each other. This means that we have to learn to trust each other. I know. I know I said it. Um, I'm not very good at that either, right? But that is our calling. We are to trust each other. Paul, I'm sorry, John, uses the word testimony. He's talking about the person who's going to take this letter to the church in Ephesus. What was his weird name? Demetrius. That's more normal. No wonder he's a nice guy. Got a more normal name. Um, but he's sending Demetrius, verse 12, uh, and he's saying this guy is respected by everyone. He's trustworthy. I trust him. You trust me. You should trust him. That's what John is saying. That trust is based on Christ's work in each of us. In other words, we are to trust each other on the basis of Christ's work in the other. So I, I trust you as a brother in Christ because I know that Jesus did the same thing for you that he did for me. Our, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we need to live there and live from that truth. We trust each other on the basis of Christ's work. That's what that testimony word means. And in keeping with Scripture, that is the truth. And John keeps coming back and back and back to this word. Verse 12, he uses it at least twice. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. And so John is appealing to the trust that he wants this church to have for this person on the basis of what Christ has done for Demetrius and on the basis that his life is in keeping and in support of the scriptures, the truth. So to trust each other more and more 
and to get together, like actually get together. And I want to be clear, like I am, I am, I will never beat someone up for zooming in to church. Good job. Well done. Um, That is not what I'm saying. What, What I'm saying is there is, there is value in the face to face. There is value in being together when possible. We are to trust each other and to get together face to face whenever circumstances allow. And we are to deepen the bonds that exist between us, the bonds of peace and friendship and trust and love and understanding. All of this is part of being in God's family. And think about it. As as you do that, as I do that, as we do that here and from here into other communities of faith in other countries, in other cities, wherever, right? All of that is confirming of the grace of God. When you come here, you are reaffirmed in your faith. You are re-encouraged just by seeing the faces of those around you who have gathered for the same reason. And when you go out from here or receive someone from another church or another ministry or mission into our midst, they are encouraged, they are strengthened. This is the way it's supposed to work. We are supposed to be a positive, connected, growing force of light and love and good in this world. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we we marvel at how words that are uh, almost 2,000 years old can still be so true. How human nature and human need has not changed uh, one iota in those many years. Lord, you know us. You created us. And you called us together with all the, the frustrations and tensions that come with um, our, uh, our pride running into one another. We thank you that you have called us together in grace and truth and love to work out our differences, work through our differences, and move toward unity in your word, in your spirit, in the light of your son. Father, we thank you that you have placed in our lives people we can trust We pray that you would help us to invest in those relationships and strengthen those bonds. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to stay connected to others who are serving you in other contexts and to be a place that spreads your light, your love, your grace, your truth in this dark and hurting world. We pray your blessing over your people. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. I'm Joe Novak, one of the elders at Hope Church, and we come to our time of offertory. It's interesting doing the transition today between the sermon and offertory because 3 John is about love, compassion, and generosity. It's about helping Christians uh, with our time, energy, talent, treasure. In short, it pretty much is the offertory. Um, and Hope does this really well. You, you've heard already Blueprint that's going on this week. It's just one of many examples of things that we do here. Um, when you donate uh, your finances here at Hope, sure, some of it goes to powering the lights and making the Zoom feed happen, um, resources for the children's classrooms, and of course, coffee. Um, but it also goes to things like Blueprint. Um, it goes to churches that are planting um, you know, new churches across our nation. It also affects things halfway around the world. Missionaries who are struggling to spread the word of God um, amongst persecution. And so um, if you do feel that you wish to contribute to things like these, um, be a part of something greater than ourselves, then you can place your offering in that bucket in the back on the way out today. You can always go to our website, hopeisreal.org, click on the link that says give, or even just follow the QR code that's in the back of the bulletin. It takes you directly to the website. But there are other things that we can use help with as well. Um, we are a small church. We rely on volunteers to do a lot of what we do. And so if you are interested in being a teacher in our Hope for Kids, if you want to, if teaching is not really for you, you can even be a teacher's aide. Um, it's still hard work, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, you can help greet at the, front, at the back doors. You can help with making coffee and become very popular. Um, you can mm -hmm. even be up here and sing. Uh, there are so many different things that you can do at Hope. And uh, let us plug you in. It, it's not a really large commitment. But let me um, focus a little bit on 3 John. When I was reading 3 John this week, it kind of reminded me of um, a tradition in Italy called Cafe Sospreso, which uh, translated means suspended coffee. And um, what would happen is someone would go in, they would order two coffees, uh, pay for two coffees, but only receive one. One of them would be in suspension. And so then later on in the day, someone who couldn't afford a cup of coffee or something would come into the coffee shop and see if there was a coffee in suspension. If there was, then they would actually receive that boon. And it got me thinking how biblical that was because the giver never saw the face of the receiver. The receiver never saw the face of the giver. And yet, lives were changed in the process. And so it takes us to Matthew 6 where if we give we're not supposed to sound trumpets and attract attention for our deeds. It's about love, compassion, and generosity. And so it's a private matter between you and God when you give. And that's why we don't pass the plate around hope. Uh, we don't want to guilt you into giving. We don't want to shame you into giving. We don't want to allow you to show off by making it rain in an offertory plate. We really want you to focus on the reason for giving, and that's love. And so something simple, like a cup of coffee, like a prayer, a couple extra hours on a Sunday, 
little bit of your finances can really change lives, not only for the receiver, but also for the giver. And so as the music plays, consider the ways in which you can become more giving, not out of an obligation or not out of guilt, but out of your love for Christ. Father God, it is my pride that wants to be recognized for what I do. Please help me be more Christ-like, to be able to give purely out of love, without the need to be applauded by others. Fill my heart to extend my generosity, not only to those I know, but to those I don't know. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.